This is the Athletic Hockey Show. Welcome back to your Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. As always, to kick off your week in hockey, it's Ian Mendes, Julian McKenzie with you. Uh, coming up on the pod today, we'll uh, run down a pretty eventful weekend in the NHL from uh, the fallout from the New York Rangers Pride Night to the Oilers using their emergency goalie to Bobby Hull passing away, Trevor Zegers, Troy Stetcher. Uh, boy, there's a lot of things to get into, Julian. Uh, really, just a, as we're getting set for... All-Star Week and a lot of teams going on their bye uh, coming up here. It, we're, we're headed for a quiet kind of news cycle, I think, in the NHL. But certainly we got a lot to chew on uh, from the weekend. Let me ask you this, though. Um, the NHL had a couple of games at 5 o'clock on Sunday. Toronto-Washington, Carolina-Boston. Should the NHL be playing games and going head-to-head with the NFL Conference Championship? Or, like, should they be playing games at noon and not right in the middle of this whole window here? Uh, I don't know if this is weird to say. I don't know if they should have at least two of their better franchises or more known franchises in that spot. I mean, maybe Toronto you can get away with because you think maybe the Canadian audience will tap in. But even then, like, then again, I guess if you're a Toronto guy, you probably are not watching or not watching as much because the Bills are out. But that's another story. But like Boston, really? I don't know. I feel as if you could throw like a nothing game with, I don't know, two franchises that don't have nearly as much viewership. You throw an Arizona in there, no disrespect. But like, I don't like the idea of of having a split between watching conference championships games and watching, you know, two like Carolina, like those teams you mentioned. I mean, those those are some good teams in there. I don't like the idea that they're in those slots. If they want to use that opportunity to compete, I guess. Maybe I understand that logic, but as just like a fan of the game, I don't like the idea of trying to split my time between one game to the next. Then again, we live in a world where you could have multiple screens, so maybe I'm just complaining. You know what, though? I think the worst, like to me, if you're going to have NHL games on NFL Championship weekend, is 5 o'clock not the worst possible time? Like, like you're going to miss the end of game one and the beginning of game two of of the NFL. Like. I feel like five o'clock's the worst time to be having games, right? Yeah. Like five's such a weird start too for the players as well. Like yeah. they're used to playing at seven, maybe seven thirty, eight o'clock in some instances. You know, they they're used to some of the day games too, I guess, where you could be at noon, maybe at one. How often does a, a game start at five o'clock Eastern Standard Time, of course? But like that's a bit of a weird one. That's five o'clock, you might just be getting to the rink. Yeah, no, no, it's a weird. It's weird for the players. It's weird for the audience. Weird for everyone. Five o'clock is a weird. Uh, it's a weird start time. And I think because we we had the NFL going on yesterday, it overshadowed. Let's be honest here. At least in the Eastern Conference, a clash of the titans. A couple of division leaders in Carolina and Boston. And Carolina, yep. they they beat the Bruins pretty handily. Uh, here's my question: a little bit of concern now. Should there be a little bit of concern around Boston, Julian? They've lost three games in a row. Uh, two of them to to legitimate, I think, Stanley Cup contenders in the Lightning and the Hurricanes. The other one to Florida. That's in overtime, whatever. But this is the first speed wobble that the Bruins have had all season. Cause for concern, or ah, you know what? They weren't gonna. They're not the 1976 Montreal Canadiens. This was bound to happen. 
Everybody relax. This is your fault. Jinxed it. I jinxed them. Remember, I said it this last week. This is your fault. Yeah. Last week, you made the point with the Boston Bruins winning as much as they were winning that, you know, they were probably destined, or at least history has shown that a team as good as what the Boston Bruins could be, just they just never find a way to do it when it really matters. And now they've decided to start losing some of these games because of some stupid curse. This is your fault. You can everybody listen to this episode. Go back to last week's episode. Go back to what Ian Mendez was saying. This is Ian Mendez's fault. That's as far as I'm concerned. In all seriousness, I'm not worried about that at all. Okay, like I, the Boston Bruins were not going to win every single game that was coming in their way. Uh, the, the, it's, I mean, it's not as if they've lost to too many minnows in the NHL season. Uh, Carolina's an excellent team. That's a team that I mean, in terms of in terms of cup contenders, I'm not sure we've rated them enough. Uh, they they're well coached. They have a good core. They can play well defensively. Like I, we haven't hyped up the Carolina Hurricanes enough, and maybe they need a good run in order for us to really properly give them their due. But I'm not necessarily perturbed at the fact that the Bruins lost a random January game against Carolina. No, not in the slightest. Who, who's the biggest challenge? Okay, they lost two games this week, or I guess technically last week. One to Tampa, one to Carolina. I think Those we can all teams. agree we. Okay, but we can't we can't sit here with a straight face and say Toronto is the biggest threat to Boston because we know the playoff history that's there. So who's the biggest threat to the Boston Bruins in the East? Is it is it Tampa or Carolina? Man, uh, I mean both those teams are right there. I mean Tampa, like like I said, like I said last week, I wouldn't be surprised if they found a way to go back to the conference final, considering with the way that they're built and the playoff experience they've accumulated over the last few years. If you're thinking of a team that could succeed them and try to be a power, I thought the Rangers would be in that driver's seat, but maybe they're not the team I thought they would be. Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes have been knocking on that door. They're right there. I'll, I'll say Tampa just because of what they've done in the past, but I also, and I'll, not to mention the goaltending too, but I think Carolina's not that far off. I mean, look, if you're Boston, you lose those games, okay. Uh, you, you take it as like a little lull in your season. It's not the end of the world. You 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 get back up on the horse and you find ways to win more games again. But like, it's not like if this is April, this is game two, game three of a series. Like we're making a bigger deal out of this, obviously. But like January, it's like, all right, like yeah, teams have to lose at some point. So you mentioned the Rangers not maybe being the team that you thought they'd be. The Rangers were certainly Julian front and center in the news cycle uh, mm -hmm. this weekend. This coming on the heels of Friday night, Madison Square Garden. Uh, Rangers were supposed to host their annual Pride Night, a night in which the players were going to uh, go out for warm-ups wearing Pride-themed jerseys. There was going to be uh, kind of rainbow colors on the tapes, uh, tape sticks. Uh, both of those things were scuttled as the Rangers just came out in warm-ups, regular gear. They still had Pride Night. A lot of the elements that were supposed to be there were there, but a couple of key elements were removed. Uh, the Rangers... Uh, did put out a statement on the weekend. I'll, I'll just read a portion of it here. Um, yeah. uh, it says, our organization respects the LGBTQ plus community. We are proud to bring attention to important local community organizations as part of another uh, great pride night. Uh, the statement went on to read, in keeping with our organization's core values, we support everyone's individual right to respectfully express their beliefs. End quote. So, 
why this is important or interesting is that this is now coming off the heels within two weeks of middle of January. The Flyers have their pride night in which Ivan Provorov, um, citing his Russian Orthodox faith, uh, that's his rationale for not wearing a pride sweater during the pregame warmups. And everybody is sitting here saying, where are we at as it pertains to this particular topic? So uh, you and I have not weighed in on this at all. Um, I think it's worth having a, uh, an intelligent, uh, you know, uh, discussion on this. Where, where, where do you want to start? Where, where do you come down on this? How are you, how are you feeling Oof. about where things are at? Uh, the first thing I would like to say is to anyone who is listening to this podcast who hasn't done so already, uh, read the article written by Steve Buckley on uh, the Rangers side of things. It's called uh, Rangers Retreat on Pride Night Sends Somber Message to Younger closeted players and I, I read that story a couple of days ago and he it touches off on the fact that you know obviously with what's going on uh if you are a player in the league or just maybe if you really think about it, you extend it to any athlete in the league who, who may be closeted uh you know this can't what has gone on with the rangers and what has gone on with the flyers can't really sit easy with you and i, I guess what's it's kind of weird because in one frame of mind, you can argue that the reaction to what has transpired with how both teams have handled Pride Night is a sign of progress because as many people care about LGBTQ issues, or even if you are not part of that community, you still think it's you know worth acknowledging and, and, and celebrating. Um, at the same time, I guess because of how progressive we've come as a society – with 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 issues and problems that surround them, uh, to see that people will at least be homophobic or or show hate towards that community is a disappointment. And to use religious, I, my my whole thing about it, it bothers me a bit because as someone who considers themselves at least somewhat spiritual and was raised on a foundation of faith, like it's like I feel like it's like hiding behind religious beliefs is just a little bit of a weird rationale. For me, because like the same religion, I mean, if you really tie it down to every single religion, they tell you to to love that neighbor and 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 yeah, like it's just it's just a bit weird that like because of your faith, you don't feel you should wear a jersey that has your name and your number in rainbow. Like I just think that's just like a weird rationale to justify to justify faith. And look, it's I just think it's a bit weird in the cause of Ivan Provorov, the Rangers thing. I mean, what's weird to what's that to me gives me concern with how other teams might handle it, how other people might, might handle it or how other people will choose to express their beliefs about that situation. Like that could open a door to more complications around uh, teams handling pride night and, and figuring out what they should do. Because otherwise, like it should have just been like a night where, you know, it's 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 like a, just a small, subtle way for teams to show support. And now it might turn into essentially a witch hunt. Like, what if we start looking at other warmups and we're thinking, OK, this guy doesn't have tape or this guy's not wearing a jersey like that's that is that should be completely besides the point. It should just be a subtle way for organizations to show uh, support for 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 those communities. But where do you come down? Okay, let, let, and let's go back to Provorov for a second. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He clearly uh, does not align with that viewpoint, okay? Yeah. Uh, 
what's the point of forcing him to wear a pride jersey would be like to me at that like here's where i come down on this and i you know i I haven't weighed in on this anywhere i would like to see teams give players the option of in a warm-up if you want to wear the pride jersey wear it you know why i want to know who the real allies are julian Mm -hmm. I don't want to know who's doing this for performative reasons or doing it because it's mandated. I want to know who the real, I want to know the real allies. And, and if, and if the Philadelphia Flyers came out for a warmup and everybody came out and one guy wasn't wearing it, I would know who the, who are the allies and who aren't. And if half the team is wearing it, half I, I want to know the real allies, the people that when push comes to shove, they will stand up for that community or a disenfranchised community or a community like, like I think, and I, I've put some thought into this over the last couple of weeks. And I thought that's where I come down on this. Um, you know, because I think, I think you and I probably have a lot of similar viewpoints. I'll use Colin Kaepernick as a great example. I was a big Colin Kaepernick guy right in the beginning in 2016. I always believed in an athlete's ability to express themselves. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do I become hypocritical if if I now denounce Ivan Pro? I don't agree with Ivan Provorov. I want to make that very clear. I don't agree with his viewpoint. But then do I become hypocritical if I say, man, you shouldn't have the right to do what other athletes have done, which is use your, use your platform to express yourself. Do I Am I guilty of being hypocritical? And I think in trying to digest this over 10 days or two weeks, I think the answer is yes. So... I will come down on this and I will say, I want to, I want people to be authentic. I don't want athletes to be performative. I don't want them to do this because, oh man, that guy's wearing a jersey. I better wear a jersey. I want you to believe in the cause. I want you to truly be an ally. So if, if, if a handful of New York Rangers players came out and said, we're not comfortable. I don't want to see you coming out and being a fake ally. What, what the hell does that do for us? Tell me. Can you explain to me? How are we further ahead? If Ivan Provorov wore a pride jersey that night, do we magically alter his viewpoint? No. I would be much rather have a, a good, try to engage people with thoughtful conversation and dialogue and education and hope to maybe sway their viewpoint. Um, but I think sometimes this this comes across as like, we want everybody to be on our side of the fence. And I, I think you know this as a person of color, as just as I do. There are going to be racist people out there. There's going to be homophobic people out there. There's going to be misogynistic people. There's going to be all that. There's no magical finish line that we're going to get to it. And we're going to, you and I are going to high five each other, Julian. We, we did it, buddy. Racism is gone. All we Racism can do is, is over. We, all we can do is our best to try and engage people in thoughtful dialogue. I don't think putting a Jersey on, if you don't truly believe in it does anything. I don't think it does. I I can understand that viewpoint. Like, I guess let's put the shoe on the other foot. Again, I'm going to assume that you probably have a lot of the same viewpoints kind of socially as, as I do. I'm I'm making some assumptions. Okay. Sure. Now let's say there's uh, an NHL game or an NFL, pick your sport. And the team has decided that night they're going to honor the local police department. Okay. Which, if, which many teams do. Okay. And they say in warm up, we're all going to wear local police department themed jerseys with our logo and their logo. We're united as one, whatever. Okay. 
Now, one player on the team is a person of color who says, I'm not doing that because I don't believe in the way that certain police members treat, uh, you know, certain groups. And, and would you not applaud that person? I, I mean, I would. I, 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 as, as a person of color who, right. I mean, I have to say, like, I'm fortunate that I have not had any negative, uh, or at least not to the point of other people, at least with interactions with the law, but obviously knowing what has happened. I mean, we're coming off a couple of days of from from what happened with Tyree Nichol. Nichols, right? Yeah, with the police officers. Yeah, it, I think if a person of color were to go through something like that, I think they'd have every right to feel that way. But we also know, knowing the sport that we cover, if they were going to do that, the blowback on that would be insane. Insane on that player. And I have to admit, like, that would be very, be very, it would be very, I'd feel for that player because, you know, they would probably be the lone, one of the loneliest players in the world to, to go through something like that. Because considering how teams, especially in the NHL, uh, have uh, embraced uh, support of, of law enforcement and, and that's their right to do. But yeah. I, 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 to your point, yes, like people should have that right to exercise I- what they feel, yeah. but also at the same time, and I'm, I'm sure you understand this too, freedom of expression does not come with being, you know, without consequence. Exactly. Right. Like, like 100%. If, you're, if you're, if you're Ivan Provorov, just like if you're that player who's going to uh, say that they're not down to support this, this law enforcement night, you know, uh, you're going to have to come with that blowback. What I also think is very interesting with your example here too is uh, could you imagine if a player says that they don't want to do this but the team pushes back right because if if you're if you're the flyers and you do what you did you know i feel like you kind of open you open up a door obviously for people to be like well you know what if if this team found a way to make it work like why can't i do this so can you imagine and and i guess we're dealing in hypotheticals right now could you imagine if like uh, a player did your example or or if some team look, we're coming up on february what if some team does a black lives matter thing and someone's like i'm not doing this like this just for me this is this is this could be like a pandora's box but but of my like point, headaches yeah for teams but th- okay but <laughs> it is a pandora's box of it headaches. is it could easily and, be that as opposed to people but, just but say you, you know what want, just wear your jersey and go on do you want a player who doesn't embrace Black Lives Matter to wear a Black Lives Matter shirt? If he if in his heart he doesn't believe in the cause, do you want him skating out there, walking out there? Um no, my answer is no. I want the real allies, the real like okay, so here, I guess that's why I come back. Here's another counterpoint to that too. Yeah. And maybe this might come across as more of a generalization than anything else. But I think compa- by comparison. Uh, with the NHL to the NBA, the NFL to a certain extent too, I would, and again, it's a bit of a generalization, and I don't think it's that reflective of some of its fans too. A lot of people like to make assumptions that the NHL is not the most progressive league when it comes to the people in it. There are obviously people in the league who are progressive, but a lot of people like to make that assumption that they're not. If you start getting to a point where you're just like, you know, let the real allies wear the shirts or do their gestures and whatever. I feel like we're going to 
I feel like you open yourself up to maybe not disappointment in your case or my case, but I feel like you start opening the door to a lot of people just saying, all right, I'm not doing this. I know, but I I guess my point at the end of the day, I would love to be wrong on that point. I would love if NHL players hear this part of this discourse that we're having and they're like, no, we're actually more progressive than you think. I would love to be wrong on that. I know. And I I guess where I come down on this is we wrap up this, uh, you know, this, this, this topic here. I just want authenticity out of uh, human beings. Um, And I think making somebody uh, wear something when they're not authentically uh, and emotionally involved in something is pointless. It's truly pointless. Like, I don't see the point. I would rather, like I said, give me, if if I find out that eight guys on my team are really staunchly pro, uh, you know, pride night and they want to wear the jerseys, those are the eight guys I'm going to care about more than if all 20 of them wore it, but it turns out 12 of them didn't really, didn't really care. Then you're not sure who the real allies are. Then, yeah, then just I, show I, me the real allies. I guess the only other way you could do it, you have to find a way to kind of change the way these types of nights go about, where instead of it being a thing where everyone has to wear the same uniform, you really leave it open-ended for everybody, and then you just let the real ones who want to come out with tape or wear the Bingo. jersey or do something special. Yes. I guess that's a really good way to go about it. It's just that because of the way that they're structured now, um, like if if just we the expectation is that everybody wears these shirts and everybody shows that they're that they're about these causes. Because that's the, I guess that's the best way to do it. You know, like if if a player wants to, like I, it's cool to see like rainbow tape in warm up. Why not like follow through and wear it during a game? Like wear tape that's good enough to put on your stick to wear. For, to have it for 60 minutes. I don't know. Like, if you find a way to to kind of shape it in which we look at the people who support these causes a little differently, maybe we could have something. Just right now, especially right now, this minute, like, if we start getting to a point where we want the real allies, it's just going to be at this, like, kind of witch hunt mode where, like, we're just going to be looking at who's wearing something, who's not wearing something. You got you to you change it around a little bit. I, I agree with you. I, I, I agree with you there. And it, it, you know, I think what happens is we live in a society in an age in which things feel very polarized, mm-hmm. right. On, on either side. I think there's more people in the middle willing to have a very intelligent, nuanced conversation uh, that's rooted in empathy than we realize. And so we just, we, we get into these two camps and we're like you and us and then, there's actually more people in the middle that are probably more open to how can we support the uh, disenfranchised communities? How do we how do we be allies for them in a way that's not as divisive? I don't think it has to be this divisive. I don't. It doesn't. But but also another thing too we have to consider as well. Like the biggest shame in all this is especially with Ivan Provorov, like it took away from people who were being real allies, right? Like before, like the, everyone should have been talking about how Scott Lawton and, and James Van Riemsdyk uh, were, were with uh, non-binary fans before the game. Like, yep. like that's, that's something else that has to be taken into account too. Like, because people, especially now, if we get to a point where we're like, hey, let the people who are, you know, allies show their true colors and let everyone else not do their thing. And, and why it's so important to kind of change the way that we shape that, like, because of what Provorov and and 
you, maybe you can throw the Rangers in this too. You're taking away from the real work or or the real allyship, totally. allyship yep. from from people around the league who want to show it. Okay, and real quick, just to put a bow on this, imagine the Flyers gave their players the opportunity, the choice. You can wear a regular orange Flyers jersey or a Pride-themed jersey, and they opened the doors, and Scott Lawton and James Van Riemsdyk came out wearing the Pride jerseys. What conversation are we having? We're having a conversation of, look at these two guys using their platform to truly show that they're allies. And guys who have, That's who what have, I want. Who have been consistent, and guys who have been consistent in that viewpoint for a long time, too. Exactly. Let's move along to a, a less divisive topic, but equally intriguing to me is what happened with the Edmonton Oilers this weekend, Julian. Uh, goaltender Matt Berlin was summoned uh, to be the, he figured he's the emergency goalie. Uh, just before the game on the weekend against Chicago, he finds out, actually, man, you're not just the e-bug, you're the backup. Uh, Stuart Skinner's not good enough. You, you're backing up. Jack Campbell. Now they're playing Chicago. Final three minutes of the game, they tell him, hey man, warm yourself up. We're actually going to put you into this game. First whistle after three minutes. Turns out, and uh, Daniel Nugent Bowman, great uh, piece up uh, uh, at The Athletic, kind of outlining how this all came together. But they said to him, get in there. First whistle after the three minute mark, under three minutes left. You're in. So this guy plays two minutes and change, 226 to be exact. Uh, one shot, one save. Um, I don't want to be that guy that... Oh, no. What are you going to do with this? I I don't know that I like this, Julian. What? I don't think I like this. Okay. No. no and I don't, don't want do to this. be that guy. No. Just hear me out. Will you just hear oh. me out on this? Okay, fine. Okay. What's okay. the purpose of the emergency goaltender the e-bug in the NHL. What is its what is the uh spirit of the rule? To to be used in emergencies. Right. Was that an emergency or was that a quasi make-a-wish situation? <laughs> that um Nah, you can't disrespect a man like that. A quasi make a dang. What what is this? What, but he what was the is backup? This? But he was the backup. He technically wasn't the e-bug in that situation. He was on. a backup goalie. Come on. And I I don't. I hate being cynical about this. Where do you draw the line? What's like, well, what's wrong with it? What's emergency with goalie. What's wrong with it? He got it. And he made his, emergency, he made his one save. They should then be nothing in, bad happened. They should be encased in glass and broken only in emergency. That's what is it. The backup. He's not Come, the e bug in this I, situation. You even. know what? They I use the e bug and they bumped him up to backup. And at, at so, that point, it's their right to let him use it like that. If okay. They get to, if they're if they're at a point where they had their two healthy goalies and they were like, "All right, cool, let's just use the e bug," then you're like, "Well, what the hell are you doing?" But they're allowed to use them in that way. There's an opportunity to do it. They're up on Chicago. It's the Edmonton Oilers, for God's sake. They're I don't know how I feel. Three. I feel like, like they three minutes in, like three minutes okay, left. So like what? I feel like we need to read all like. In whether, imagine the San Francisco 49ers in the NFC Championship game. Look, they lost their two quarterbacks. No, 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 no. That's totally different. No, That's no, no. totally but, different. But imagine they're like, hey, by the way, uh, if both our quarterbacks get hurt, there's some rando guy that used to play uh, college ball. He's going to come in and play for – that's farcical. The, yeah, but the, that's can different. We, can we just talk for a minute about – 
I don't know what the solution is. And maybe there is no solution because it's very rare. But I don't know that I like the idea of a guy that started the day as an emergency goalie is purposely put in because they're like, oh, we want to help. Like, and I love this. I look, I love all the Scott Foster and the David Ayers, all the times it's happened organically. I got no problem with it. This one just felt like, now what's your message to the Chicago Blackhawks? Like, what's your message? No disrespect, but we're going to give this kid a chance. If I'm the Oilers, I could give a damn what the Chicago Blackhawks think. I could give a damn what they think. We could do what we want. We beat you. We already beat you. The game is already over. I mean, fine. You know, you want to get your goals in on this guy. Fine. We're still going to, you know, do everything we can to win. He's, he's, he's not literally just any bum off the street. He, I understand he can play some goalie. Like, I don't see anything wrong with this. The game, I think, was far okay. enough out of reach. I if they did this when it was 4-3, you're like, okay, no, they wouldn't. now you're being They ridiculous. wouldn't do that. But that's it. They wouldn't do that. But it's 7-3. Like, there's nothing wrong that's going to happen. And even if, even if Chicago got two goals, got two goals in on this guy, and they made it 7-5. If they did, sorry to do this to you guys, in Calgary. I'm really sorry to do this to you. If the Calgary Flames did this, I'd be concerned. Because they got to work their butts off to get themselves some goals. If there is one NHL team I know that can find a way to outscore a problem, it's the Edmonton Oilers. And Connor McDavid, who 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 was was the brainchild behind this whole idea, he himself might be like, all right, just let me get the puck. Let me get two goals in and, you know, make sure that it's not that close of a game. And I know I'm being a little silly with that last point, but, like, there's no, it's not a big deal. This I, is totally fine. This is a great story. And I think okay. if we start getting to a point where we start worrying about e-bugs and how they're deployed and stuff, like, come on, man. Let's let's be careful with that. I I hate that I'm this cynical, but the whole I, point. I'm, I'm surprised by this viewpoint from you, sir. I thought, I I did not think you knew that. I can't be alone. All I'm saying is I can't be alone. I can't be alone in thinking, I don't know where you draw the line. Okay, how different is our conversation if this Berlin kid gets a high slap shot and takes it off the collarbone, breaks his collarbone, or gets a concussion? or so If something happens, are we having a different conversation or no? I, I, if he I gets mean, hurt, we're, not ha we're having the same conversation? I, I guess not, but at the same time, like, what? Like, he's a, I don't know, that's the hazard that every NHL player has to worry about when they step in. It's like a freak accident. What yeah, are you but gonna, he, he, what are you, what are you, you going to say? Alert, that he's not an NHL player. Okay, fine. But like, even that, what are you going to say? Like, oh no, now we have to, we definitely can't put e-bugs in. What if they get hurt? Like what? Like that's a risk that everyone has put to go through. Put the e-bug in if you need him. Look, okay. I'm with you on the fact that you could put the e-bug in when you need him. He was not the e-bug in that situation. He got bumped from e-bug to backup. They had every right to put him in when the, the way that they did. It was a nice, cool thing to do. It was a rare opportunity for them to do. No other team really does that like that. I don't see the issue. Okay, last point on this. Sure. Okay. This guy's a university student. He's yes. got an exam on Monday, like today. Yes. So yes. this happens on Saturday night. What's the last thing any college or university student needs 48 hours before a big exam? More pressure. You know what? <laughs> this guy doesn't need you know more what? pressure. You That's the last thing serious. this guy. He's a college you're student. You're not serious with this topic, bro. You're no, not that serious. one. Okay, that you, that one. You're was, not serious. That you're one, not serious. That one was this. a joke. You're that not one serious was, with this. God, I'm trying Ian to Mendes, add a little levity Ian to Mendes, it here now. Man Jeez. with your professional 
your your professional candor and valor and experience that you have shouldn't have to stretch to find viewpoints at this level. Like, what is this? <laughs> that was my attempt expect, to try and get a laugh you, out of you, sir. but clearly, I clearly, I've destroyed. You. You just, just, just you, 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 you. Today, today, sir, you on one today. First, you're asking if we should be concerned about the Boston Bruins when you was the one saying they were winning too much. And now this. The hell we do? What is this? Okay. Now we're going to move on. And, and this, actually, this next topic here, um, you know what? This is this is going to be, again, you know what? And, and sometimes we have to walk, I don't say we want to walk a tightrope, but sometimes there's stories that come out that, cause you to have very conflicted feelings as, as sports sure. fans and hockey fans. And certainly on Monday morning, the passing of Bobby Hull would be one of them. Uh, if you were just to go to hockey reference or hockey DB or whatever's your pleasure, you would look up and see that Bobby Hull is one of the greatest scorers of all time. The 600 goals, the, you know, jumping to the WHL and really legitimizing that league and, and getting players paid and winning heart trophies and a Stanley cup. And, you know, if you were to just look at it through the lens of that, you would say, my goodness gracious, one of the greatest players of his generation has passed away. If you were to then take a step back further and look at this with a different perspective, you would see this is a man whose, um, you know, history of uh, allegations of domestic abuse, racism, uh, anti-Semitism you know, th- th- these types of things, you know, finally the Chicago Blackhawks, the organization in which he really became a star at the NHL level, they cut ties with him a couple of years ago. They're like, we cannot be associated with somebody with these viewpoints. And, you know, he had been a, you know, quote unquote ambassador for 10 years or something like that. Uh, I-, I think there's been kind of a recalibration of, you know, how we looked at at, at athletes and and the way they've conducted themselves. And we don't, it, it's almost now, Hey, we don't have tolerance for, uh, Oh, you were a bad guy in the eighties. That's okay. Like, no, it's not okay. And we need to, you know, we need to, to kind of reconcile some of that. So I think there's a lot of conflicted feelings flowing through the sports world and the hockey world today, Julian, where you see again, on one hand, one of the great players of a generation when, and when fans who are a lot older than us, maybe think back to some of their fond memories as a, as a young hockey fan, they might think of number nine flowing down the ice with the hair and slap shot and all those things. And so they may have today a different feeling because a part of their childhood has passed away. And that I'm very uh, much aware of that, but it's, it's the great conversation. It doesn't just have to be um, uh, focused on hockey. The difficulty we have as fans and media of separating the art from the artist, right? And Bobby Hull would be a great example of, I have a really hard time now knowing what I know. I'm saying, I didn't know this stuff 10 years ago, 15 years ago, Yeah. but knowing what I know, it's, it's really hard, right. To kind of, to look at this news today and, and, you know, and, 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 okay, I guess here's my point. I would feel really disingenuous if I got on this microphone and said, God, it's a really, I feel really sad today. And I feel a real loss. Cause I'll be honest. I, I don't know. I guess my point is, I don't know how to feel. And sometimes that's okay. I don't know how to feel. I think we'd feel a lot differently about this topic if, and I say this perhaps just with a bird's eye view of things, and maybe people who are genuine fans of Bobby Hall can speak differently to this. 
But I think we'd feel differently about Bobby Hall if he spent at some point in his life, in his later years, at least trying to atone for some of the stuff that he did. You know, I I I feel with with celebrities who pass now, um, you know, it's weird to think of Kobe Bryant in this, but I think this happened a lot with Kobe in that we did a lot to remember his legacy. Very different people, I understand. Uh, both have transgressions, but obviously one with on a different level than the other. But obviously, with people who have something like that in their past, like it's easy to bring it up and say like, oh, well, well, this person did this. Like, let's be mindful of how they celebrate. But I wonder if for for certain people, at least people who are up on that stature, if they do something bad, like how you made the, the, the reference about, hey, you know, people in the 80s, they did all this stuff and they're trying to, you know, like you, they, they might still have those values today. If some of those people at least realize that maybe what they did in the past was not right, and they went about their lives differently or at least tried to say like, hey, what I did was a mistake and I'm trying to be better from that. Do we look at them differently? And we'll never know in the case of Bobby Hall, I guess. But I would imagine maybe it would be a bit more palatable uh, to 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 think about his legacy a little bit more positively. But uh, just as as a much younger person who has not seen him live and has like like they're my view of like it it kind of goes hand in hand with with the the records or or the numbers that he has but the the quotes which i understand he's refuted about about hitler and 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 the allegations that have followed him that doesn't come across to me he doesn't come across to me as the best type of of person and i can also understand that some people might hear this and they might think well why are we having this discussion now this person has just died but this is I think we're the type of people to have this discussion because of of what we see with the reaction with this player, right? Like we wouldn't just do this just because like, oh, well, we just want to dump on a player. Like this is like right now, as as you're listening to this podcast, people are wrestling with how to commemorate Bobby Hall's legacy. If you go on any NHL team social media page right now and you find a tweet of them saying, hey, we want to express our condolences to Bobby Hall. I guarantee you, you go in the mentions, someone will reference uh, whatever article in the, in the Moscow Times or whatever where he says that, where, he, where Bobby Hall references Adolf Hitler. Like, I get your guarantee, I think you're guaranteed to find at least one person make that reference. Like, it's a complicated legacy. It's, it's, and it's disappointing considering the fact he is one of the best goal scorers uh, the league has seen. And he should be remembered for that, but we are going to remember him for so many other different things. It's a very complicated legacy. Exactly. And with complicated legacies come complicated feelings, right? And that's, it's okay. It's okay to be, again, like I said, sometimes I think we we work so hard to try to find out uh, you should feel like this or that. It's sometimes you feel two, you can feel multiple emotions at the same time, you know, And, and, and it's okay. It's okay if you grew up watching Bobby Hall that a part of your childhood was watching him rip down the ice and, and, and score a goal. And if, if that's how and why you fell in love with hockey, that's okay. We don't, you know, we don't want you to, you know, potentially, you know, have that all uh, memory altered because that stuff matters to your childhood, but it's the, it's the totality of the person, right. That um, I think comes into, uh, into play on, on days like this. And look, and look, the NHL put out a statement today. Gary Bettman put out a statement on the passing of Bobby Hall and 
Uh, you know, part of it, uh, Julian, it reads, the National Hockey League mourns the passing of one of its most iconic and distinctive players as gregarious a personality as he was explosive as a player. Uh, I, I mm. didn't expect it. Look, the NHL is not going to go into any of this stuff in an official no. release. But uh, if, if you're wondering how the league is handling this, um, they call, again, they called him one of the most iconic and distinctive players in the history of the game. Which yeah, is some people are going to choose to do that, but also you know it's man a Nazi sympathizer, and I, again, I get that he's refuted some of that, but like that reputation is just going to follow him. It's, it's, it's followed him essentially, and it's it's a shame. And look, and that statement comes off of uh, out of the office of Gary Bettman, who, by the way, this week, Julian, on Wednesday, uh, will celebrate a milestone. 30 years in the commissioner's chair. Wednesday of this week. Sheesh. February the 1st will mark the 30th anniversary of of, uh, Gary Bettman taking over as the commissioner of the National Hockey League. So big picture question here. Do you believe there should be term limits on sports commissioners? Yes or no? Uh, I'll say yes. I think it's cool to see different people uh take the mantle of of a commissioner job and apply different things uh get a different variety and not just have the same old thing all the time um the one thing i'm trying to think of is what is an appropriate length for a commissioner is as i feel like 5 years is too short for whatever reason i guess maybe 10 years is sufficient 10 or 15 years um and I mean, obviously, if something else happens, like, I guess they could always leave. But I feel like 10 years might be sufficient for a commissioner. I feel like it just gives them a lot of time for them to implement things that they might want in the league, um, establish enough sufficient relationships with owners uh, and and other, I guess, kind of things to ensure that revenue can be generated uh, I think that's enough to have an impact on a league. 15 maybe might be a little better, but like, I don't think, I don't feel commissioner for a league should be like a presidential term where it's like four or five years. Like, I don't feel that's enough time for you to really like kind of establish a legacy for yourself in this league. I'm all for it. I just think like, like 30 years is a long time. And maybe we're, we're doing, we're, we're thinking of it this way because it's Gary Bettman. It's a lot of time to get yourself in some discussions about lockouts. You know, uh, it's canceled uh, season and yeah. canceled seasons and 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 salary cap and stuff like thirty years might be a bit too long for anybody. So, but but fifteen years might be enough. I, I think I, I think I agree with you. I think fifteen years uh, or fifteen seasons, however you want to uh, uh, slice it, uh, that feels right. Like like it's long enough for you to have an impact, but not too long that okay. At the end of it, you're like okay, you've been like. I think 30 years is, and this would go for anybody, leader of a political party, CEO of a company, uh, 30 years is too long. Um, And I don't mean that with any disrespect other than, yes, you've provided a steady and stable hand, but at some point you need to make way for a new vision and a a new voice and a new way of doing things. And it doesn't matter if you've, and Gary Bettman has grown the business. Gary Bettman has done a great job of keeping Canadian teams in place. I know people in Winnipeg would, would disagree with that at one point in the nineties, they're back. And 
I, I don't think that any other Canadian team is in jeopardy. Um, but I think 30 years feels a touch long uh, to me. Um, and and I, I again, I don't know what the succession plan is, but I, I think it's a significant date on the calendar on Wednesday that this guy's going to be celebrating 30 years. Like, we'd have to go back and look at all of the commissioners of all the big four sports. Uh, man, like maybe, like maybe Pete Rozelle in the NFL was in this neighborhood. Like, what commissioner has served the longest? Um, How long was David I, Stern in? I feel like he was probably in for quite a long time. The NBA. David Stern was absolutely uh, north of thirty. He was there years, for a right? lo- yeah, he was there for a long time. So you know, and yeah, he was and, there. He was nineteen eighty four to twenty fourteen. That's thirty years. Yeah, yeah. That's that's almost exact. Like he was in office February first, nineteen eighty four. Through January thirty first, two thousand fourteen. That's thirty. Yeah, so he years. went out exactly thirty years. Thirty years. That's insane. Pretty much to the day. Damn. Yeah, David Stern. Wow. So Gary Bettman, if he wow, Gary Bettman being an, a commissioner longer than David Stern was. That's a long time. Man. I. You know what I. Boy, I'd have to look at, we'd have to look this up and see, like I said, what, like, uh, baseball used to have those commissioners way back in the day, like uh, Kennesaw Landis and, and, you know, uh, those guys were in in charge for a long time, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, it's, it's a good conversation to have. What should, what's a realistic uh, term limit? And I, and I think that that'll be a conversation I'm sure that comes up around the all-star game. Uh, this weekend is kind of what's the future of Gary Bettman? He just celebrated 30 years on the job. Um, you know, and, and if I'm Gary Bettman too, like you're reaching a point in your seventies, um, wouldn't you want to just go and enjoy, enjoy, uh, your life a little bit? Um, there's been tremendous pressure on this guy over the years, right? Whether it's lockouts or, um, you know, media in, uh, scrutiny, like, wouldn't you want to just go and enjoy some time in the sun in some time, just. I don't know, not being the commissioner of a major sports league in North America. I would love, if you're Gary Bettman, how would it feel going to like arenas and and not being booed? <laughs> but maybe he, I think he probably likes the booze actually, he probably thinks it's endearing. But uh, yeah, like maybe he would look at it that way. I'm also curious if it ever gets to, whenever it gets to that point, really, because he can't be there forever. I wonder who would end up succeeding him. Like who would be a viable candidate? Like who do you... I don't know how that works in terms of looking for a commissioner, but like, who do you look to to succeed him? Like, like who, like who do you think of? Like, do you find like a high-powered attorney, someone who is already in the league office, someone who's in a completely different league, someone who's like a high-ranking exec at a company somewhere, uh, some big businessman? What if like an HLGM one day is like, hey? put my name in for for NHL commissioner right like i have no idea how like where do you think like like how like where do you even go for for to look for like a commissioner like i don't under, i mean let's say you just go to anyone off the street but like like i would love to know how that process works is this the opportunity for us to do a natural linkedin jobs uh, is that where you go where you're looking to hire no uh great question you don't pu- <laughs> you, you don't publicly post this uh, look, I, I would imagine that there's already kind of a search 
team in place, right? That that have kind of identified, and maybe Bill Daly would be one candidate. Maybe Bill Daly. That's actually a good he, idea. Yeah, you know, Bill, Bill Bill would probably be a good, you know, potential candidate. Knows the ins and outs of the business. I think is pretty well respected uh, in in most circles. Uh, good communicator, all those things. Like like yeah. like Bill would check a lot of boxes. I think for a lot of people, uh, including the, the the legal background. But but I wonder, yeah, I wonder how this would. Um, how this would go and like, you know, what, what would the interview process even be? Like who's interviewing you as the commission, I guess the executive, the owner's executive committee there would be, I uh, guess the ones conducting that interview. It'd be, be fascinating to see um, how, like, I'd love to go back and see like how, like, you know, how did, like, how did Roger Goodell get the job in the NFL? Like how did, right? Like how did that all happen? And, uh, Rob Manfred in, in Major League Baseball, like, what was the interview process like for that job, right? Like, like, do they ask you the standard, like, where do you see yourself in five years? Or maybe they're like, where do you see the league in five years, right? Or I, I don't know. I don't know. Where what do you see yourself in 30 years? Because that seems <laughs> like the standard number. Pete yeah. Rozelle was there for almost 30 years. I looked this up. Pete Rozelle, yeah. I, Pete Rozelle was there from the 60s into the 80s, right? Um, yeah, from 1960 into 1989. He's also the youngest commissioner in the in the history of the NFL at 33 years old. He was 33 when he started as commissioner? Yep. Wow. He's the youngest commissioner at 33 years old. Man, have you that's, ever seen pictures of Gary Bettman when he took over as commissioner? Like the it was the All-Star weekend in Montreal in 1993 when he took over. Have you ever looked at pictures of this? I gotta look this up now. Look up Gary uh, Bettman, nineteen oh February nineteen ninety three. Gary Bettman. Oh my god! Is he look wearing the All Star jersey in the picture you're looking at? Uh, not this picture I'm looking at, but he looks so much younger and 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 happier. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I gotta find the All Star jersey then, because that All Star is... jersey. Google Gary Bettman All Star nineteen ninety three. I think that should do it. All Star. 1993. Um, Let's see if he. Oh, I see it. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> well, he looks so happy. He looks so Look happy him. and joyous. What a big smile yeah. on his face. I know. That's funny. I, see, that's actually, now I've that's realized. Really, wild. I am now older now than Gary Bettman was in that photo you're, you're looking at. I'm older than Gary Bettman when he took over oh, as commissioner. What have I done with my, my. life? Jesus. Look, this is 93, that, right? Yeah. A oh boy. So I think Gary was 44 that, when he took over as commissioner. I so. was negative one. Negative one. I was not alive yet. Yeah. I was still a year and two months away from, from living, at least. I know. Hey, listen, I was in high school. I was in the 11th grade. For uh, the 11th Gary grade, you was about to you was about to go to wait. You were were you in Vancouver still? I was in Vancouver. Okay, well, watching the you guys don't Pavel have CJP anyway. You guys don't have CJP anyway, so you guys went straight to university, no. right? Yeah, right off the university. It was 11th grade. Yeah, and I don't know how you guys do it going from grade 11 to university. That's such a jump. Well, no, there there is something called grade 12. Okay, yeah, fine, but like that's still a jump. What do you mean? No, everyone else does it. Nah, that's crazy, man. I I know a lot of people like to hate on CJ, but I like that buffer 
of like pre-university where like you're sort of still like high school ish but like you're getting used to you know just going to classes on your own and and ah, just like it's like sending you to, to the ahl when you don't like you're ready for the you're ready for the nhl and they're like you need to go to the ahl for season eight to learn what it's like to be a pro get out of I here i don't know man you, you see how show. some of these kids you see how some of these kids go to university like when they get to all that responsibility they get themselves like crazy at frosh and stuff like they can't handle that responsibility man like I don't know, man. You, you got to be a little careful with that. That's that's just my <laughs> viewpoint. That's just you. All right. Hey, let's wrap up the pod like we always do with a couple of regular segments here, my friend. Uh, let's start with this. Jack Adams winner of the week. We look back the last seven go. days and trying to, try to determine who did the best job coaching. Look, got to give a shout out to DJ Smith in Ottawa. A week ago, Julian, the Senators were rock bottom. Uh, awful uh, run that they had there. Uh Responded with three straight wins, including a pair of beatdowns against their two biggest arch rivals, Toronto and Montreal. So, DJ Smith, uh, hats off to you. 3-0 and last week. I thought you did a great job. Tampa, Anaheim, and Carolina, they also went 3-0 and uh, last week. But, Julian, I think we got to give a little love to Donnie Meatballs. Don Granado. Uh, <laughs> Sabres go 3-0-1. I refuse to call Don Granado Donnie Meatballs. What kind of name is that, okay. bro? <laughs> Donnie Meatballs. Well, they, there's like a whole thing, isn't there, in uh, Buffalo about that? Anyway, I've look. never heard of this nickname. I, I Don. Okay, if it's if it's his, now you need to Google nickname, Donnie Meatballs. If Donnie Meatballs is his nickname, and people actually do this, I yeah, don't isn't have there a like problem. shirts and everything? There's all like Donnie Meatballs. Donnie Meatballs. Am I wrong on that? Okay, or that? no, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. You're, you're not wrong at all. Absolutely yeah. not. In fact, in fact, in fact, there is an article somewhere. I'm coming across it now. I think in terms of T-shirts, like that, it's a thing. Like that's very much yeah, a thing. That's what all, all Sabres fans yeah. on Twitter that are always like, ah, Donnie Meatballs is the best. Anyway, Donnie hey, Meatballs. Seven out of like, like what? Anyway, I don't know. Listen, seven out of eight uh, points last week. Uh, people should read Down Goes Brown on why you should love the Sabres right now. If you're looking at this solely through points percentage, which is probably the way we should look at the standings, yeah, the Buffalo Sabres are holding on to the final wild card spot in the Eastern Conference. I say we give it to Don Granado, coach of the I, week. Three out of I'm, they win, uh, they go three zero and one. I'm cool with that. I still would like to. I just, I generally though for the Sabres, I would love to see them. Find some way into the playoffs. Like I like I, I think this team has the fact that they've gone through essentially two rebuilds in the last decade or so. Like that is tough for those fans, and they're seeing progress. You know they'll they'll need a they'll need their franchise goaltender to come up at some point. But like Tage Thompson balling, uh, Rasmus Dahlin looking like a a a, a Norris Trophy candidate. Like there's some pieces starting to come up. Owen Power, uh, Victor Golovson. I guess I called him Golovson and not Olofsson. Like they, they got some pieces around that team, man. And at some point, like those guys have to be rewarded. And nothing would make them feel better than for them to make the playoffs. If they find a way into this postseason, man, good for them. Uh, so yeah, I'm with you. Let's give it to Donnie Granado and and shout out to him and and that nickname. I have to admit. Maybe it's because of the fact that I've I've been in all of Western Canada for four months, but I did not know Donnie Meatballs was a thing. 
Okay. See, and I'm every, sorry. Every it's week like I try and teach you something. I just didn't know I'd be teaching you about something from 2022. Uh, you know, I figured it, may, it might try it may even go things. back a little farther than that. I don't know if you've seen that meme uh, where um, it's like a like a screen grab of like Shaq on in, in, like a screen grab of Shaq with like this quote say like I apologize. I was not familiar yeah. with your game. Like, I, I kind of sort of feel that way with, with Sabres fans. Like, I'm sorry, Sabres fans. I was not familiar with your nickname, Donnie Meatball. Donnie Meatballs? I'm, you know what? You swayed me. I'm cool with it. I'm not going to hate anymore. I love it. All right. Wrapping up with a little multiple choice madness. That's where we look at a question, give you a couple of options, and you listeners can play along as well. Uh, Arpin and I got together. Uh, Julian wrote a piece today. Ottawa and Montreal are in the middle of a home-and-home series. And we thought, why not have a little fun, maybe not fun for Montreal fans, but let's go back and redo the 2018 draft and say, what would happen if the Montreal Canadiens, instead of drafting Jesperi Kotkaniemi, took Brady Kachuk? What, what would, how would the trajectories of those two franchises be altered if Kachuk went to Montreal? And, you know, who, who knows? Ottawa, maybe they draft uh, Philip Zadina. Maybe they draft Quinn Hughes, whatever. Like, there's... A bunch of different, uh, you know, uh, roads you could go down. So we had a lot of fun putting that together. But it leads me to this multiple choice question. We're only looking at the last 10 years or so, okay? Okay. I'm going to give you three what-if scenarios. You tell me which fan base should kind of be kicking themselves the most on these ones, okay? Okay. Is it A, should Flyers fans be angry with, what if the Flyers drafted Kale McCarr instead of Nolan Patrick? So 2017, they draft Nolan Patrick and then Heiskanen and maybe even worse, Kale McCarr go right after them. So should Flyers fans be the most upset that they could have had Kale McCarr? Should it be Boston fans, um, Julian? They go back to 2015. They had back-to-back-to-back picks in the first round. That's so rare they, they used them to take Jake DeBrusque, and DeBrusque has been a good player, so I, I, I don't want to uh, in any way, shape, or form label him a bust, but they sandwiched that pick with Jacob Zaborl, Zach Sinitian, neither of whom has had a you know significant impact at the NHL level. Instead, Boston could have had Matt Barzell, Kyle Connor, Thomas Shabbat. So maybe Bruins fans are the ones who could be screaming what if the most. I'll give you one more. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks have just had an awful go, but maybe things wouldn't be so awful, Julian. If in 2014 they drafted Matthew Kachuk instead of instead of Ole Ulevi. So which of these fan bases, Boston, Philly, Vancouver, should be screaming the loudest and most upset about their what if draft pick scenario? This is so interesting because the obvious answer should be the Boston Bruins. The it's the Boston Bruins. I should, I'm overthinking this. You have a chance at three like all-star players. Kyle Connor is the, the most slept-on goal scorer in the league. Thomas Shabbat uh, is a first-pairing defenseman. Matthew Barzal is is a solid is a solid first-line forward on so many different teams. And the Bruins could have had all of those players. And I get the draft is a crapshoot, but like, ugh, that's so frustrating. Especially now, where you know we look at how this Bruins team is 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 probably still at the end of their window. We don't think about it that much, but like they're they're, they're playing really well. But like. Technically, with, with Bergeron there, and I know they still have Brad Marchand, and they still have to figure out David Pasternak, but like they're technically at the end of, of, of some kind of road with what they have right now. And depending on how things go, their offseason could look could be pretty drastic. But like 
imagine if they had Barzal, Connor, and Shabbat like in the wings to be like, hey, like you guys can pick up the slack and keep this going. We could be talking about maybe not dynasty, but one of the more dominant NHL teams of the last how many years? Maybe you know, and maybe some Leafs fans would be very sick at that. I know Canadians fans would be sick at that, but like, man, the Bruins would would be so much better off. But also, the Flyers, man. <laughs> I mean, a lot. Kale McCarr, man. That just go every time I think of people who are like, oh no, well, I want our team to tank to get first overall, and I don't want our team outside of that. Like, I don't want our team missing out on a number one overall pick. The draft is a crapshoot. You could end up with a generational talent at fourth overall. Look up players in the last how many years who were drafted fourth overall. Pretty decent company. And the Vancouver Canucks, well, the easy answer for them is maybe they would have found a way to have Matthew Kachuk leave anyway. Yeah. I think that's how they console themselves with that. <laughs> you know what? I, I think it's Philadelphia for me because when you look at McCarr and what he's done, Norris Trophy, Conn Smythe, all that, like, and, and people saying he could be this generation's you know, Bobby Orr is a little strong, but but you know what I mean? Like, this generation's best defenseman for the next decade. And, like, you had him, you know, the chance to draft him. It's not like it's not like one of those situations where you drafted somebody and, and they're good, but you could have had somebody better. Like, Nolan Patrick was a non-factor for them, right? Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's like you had the number two pick overall and you did nothing with it, unfortunately, because the young man was, was always banged up and hurt. And, um, and instead, you could have had the best defenseman of your generation uh, right there in Philly. Whew. I got to tell you, I think it's, I think it's Philly. Um, I think it's Philly. All right. Could you imagine if the Philadelphia Flyers had Kale McCarr and they found a way to bring Johnny Gaudreau home? Man. Oh, exactly. Then you start to think of all these different what if, you know. But then, but then you think, well, what if John Tortorella was coaching Kale McCarr? I don't know. Anyway. It, oh no! It makes oh, you think. You know what? I shouldn't. I shouldn't say oh no because I, I I gotta at least from a coaching standpoint give John Tortorella credit because he has a cup and 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 he, he does find ways to get the best out of you know teams that maybe aren't necessarily as good. I I have questions about how he coaches up Kale McCarr. I I have genuine questions. Does he give him that freedom? Does he make him play more defensive? Like I have questions, and and maybe I'm glad we'll never really know. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it, that's the beauty of the uh, uh, the what if uh, the what if stuff. So, all right, um, we'll leave it there. Would love to hear from people on anything we've touched on tonight. The Rangers and uh, today, uh, Rangers and Flyers, and the Pride Night stuff. Uh, and feel free, like on, on the on the Oilers e-bug thing. Um, if you think I'm being a old cynical, whatever, like let me know. Like I, I always leave room to be open. I just ah. I don't know why. I, I, I don't want to be cynical, so help me out. I'm tell me, still tell surprised me I'm being you cynical. took that viewpoint, man. Wow. Wow. But I wanted to be honest with the listeners. I didn't want to come on here and be fake and be like, I loved it. I ah. Anyway, and I, anyway, I, I, I don't want to be this cynical. Help me be less cynical, listener. Uh, tweet at me. You can leave us a rating and review um, as well. We certainly uh, we read all the comments that come our way. So we, you know, uh, follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us that rating review. Leave us the, the feedback from this episode. We'd love to hear that on anything we touched on today. Uh, and you can also get a one-year subscription to The Athletic uh, for uh, $2 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show.